Welcome to The Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. On this episode of The Determined Mom Show, we have Adrienne Delgado, and she is the owner of Bodymetrics Health and Wellness Services. She's a registered dietitian, business owner, and mom of five. Welcome, Adrienne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy you're here because what we're going to talk about today is super important, especially like we were talking about before we started recording for our children and for that legacy that we are going to leave them with as far as food and dealing with foods. First, let me ask you how you got started as a dietitian and what made you really want to kind of go into this field? Okay. I actually started out my education in the pre-med field. Uh, I always knew I liked to help people and I loved science and biology and math and all those, those great subjects. So I just assumed that I should just be a doctor because that would be the best way to integrate my passions. And then one time we were in a, I wasn't part of a, it was called a future health professionals club. And it was basically a club for pre-med majors to invite different disciplinaries into come and speak and see, do you want to go into cardiology? Do you want to go into gastroenterology? Like we were able to see all the specialties and ask questions, which was amazing. But one day I just decided, I just kind of surprised myself. I shot my hand up in the air and the, it was a pediatrician. He called on me and all of a sudden I said, do you have a family? (laughs) Do you see your kids? How often? And he was kind of taken aback because he was talking more about his specialty, not his personal life. But he answered honestly. And he said, I don't, I don't see them as much as I'd like to. A lot of times I'm on call and I realized this wasn't in alignment with some of my personal goals. I knew I always wanted to be a mom. And so the next day I signed myself out of the pre-med program. And then I started looking through the course selection guide because I was like, I don't want to lose all my anatomy classes and my calculus and physics classes. What can I take that still allows me to stay in the science field, but may have a better work-life balance. I came across nutrition and fell in love with it day one. So that's kind of my story of how I, I fell into the career path. And I'm so thankful every day that, that that happened. That's awesome. And I love the fact that you just knew like, okay, this is not for me. And you were able to just take action on it. Like me, I would have been like dwelling on it forever. Like, oh, should I be doing this? Should I not? Maybe I should just finish it. I don't know. <laughs> But I love that you were like, okay, that's a no-go for me. And I am definitely taking action tomorrow and I'm not going to be doing this anymore. I love that. Yeah. I will say there was a little deliberation. I mean, I'm I'm giving you the short version of it, but you know, I knew what my goals were. I knew what, you know, what my ultimate goal was and I knew I had to pivot quickly. Otherwise I wasn't going to be happy. And then potentially looking at school down the road. And that wasn't something I wanted to do. So, so yeah, I started my path out in clinical nutrition. So I worked in some hospitals, I worked on the ICU floor, doing tube feeds and figuring out nutrition for people on ventilators and realized as much as I loved that part of it, I wasn't able to create relationships with people and see them through their care. It was, you know, maybe meeting with somebody five minutes before they're discharged as they got their bags packed, they want to leave and they have to have a dietary consult before they're allowed to go. I knew I needed a a more captive audience where I could make a difference. And so that's when I transitioned into outpatient care. Yeah. 
I love that. I think it's a very impressive. And also I think it's impressive that you have your own business in so that way you can really make your schedule around your kids. I mean, having five kids is not uh, an easy thing in itself, but you took the path of most fulfillment. So I really admire that. Yeah. I think it was for me, I knew I needed that balance. I know I knew I wanted to make an impact on our community, but I also knew that my family is always going to come first. And so I, I will say I work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, actually seeing clients. Tuesday, Thursday is when I work on the business. Uh, but that's when also I run around like a crazy person doing the grocery shopping, the laundry, everything to keep the household running so that I try to minimize those days where the kids are like, mom, we have no socks. Did you do laundry? <laughs> so yeah. it's a, a constantly a juggling act. And some days I'm better at one task than the other. Sometimes I'm killing it as a professional and other days I'm killing it as a mom. Rarely yeah. am I killing it both ways. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> so now that we know you a little bit, let's talk about how you're going to tell us about like, think about is what we talk about that a little, because I find it very intriguing. And I do find myself, I will say when I'm in kind of like a better mental state and like going through a period of like, everything's going okay, then I eat healthier, you know, but then I'm definitely an emotional eater. So the last year has been just horrific for not even just the pandemic, but all of the stuff with everything in my life has been insane. And so I've been, you know, definitely emotional eating there, but I'm very curious about what, you know, what you have seen and what you see in your practice. Yeah. Great question. So I think in terms of going to school, you know, we do a lot of medical nutrition therapy. So we're looking at what's your fa- your health history, your family history, Um, so we're also looking at the medical side of it, but I will say that probably 70% of the people that walk into our office are looking for weight management. It used to be that I would see people come in and we would just tell them what to do and how many fruits fruits and vegetables they need and how to get them in and how much protein do you need for your goals. And we would figure all that out. And it was great when it was working, but what a lot of diets are missing is the mindset. You know, how do you talk to yourself at nine o'clock at night when the kids are in bed and all you want is chocolate? You know, a lot of plans out there, even commercial plans are eat this, not that at eight o'clock, you're going to eight in the morning, you're going to eat a half a cup of oatmeal with, you know, a tablespoon of raisins. And at at noon, you're going to eat a salad with grilled chicken on it. And then for a snack, you're going to have cottage cheese and a half a cup of pineapple. Like anybody can follow that. That's, that's not the problem. We can create a healthy diet, but if we don't address the mindset piece around it, all that gets thrown out the window as soon as life happens, right? Or as soon as we feel frustrated or overwhelmed or exhausted. And so I realized there's got to be a second piece to this. It's not just tell people what to eat and when it's how do I work around my insecurities and my emotions and my stress? How do I learn to sit and be uncomfortable when I'm feeling anxious instead of trying to rush and cover it up really quickly? I call it root work. We got to get to the root of the problem, not just slap another bandaid on things and just say, well, your cholesterol is high. So let's give you some medication for that. Well, let's figure out why is your cholesterol high? What are some of your habits? You know, And then behind that is what are some of your thoughts around food? And, you know, so many women, I mean, men too, but I'll categorize women right now. You know, it's that all or nothing mindset. I'm either doing everything and following the rules and killing it, or I'm not, and I'm failing and screw it all. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to do what I want to do and I'll deal with the consequences later. Yeah. And we just cycle around and around. And I think going back to what you were talking about, about like making sure everybody has clean socks and underwear and all of that <laughs> stuff. And you know how you have to balance your schedule. Like that's totally us moms. Like we are literally juggling so many things. And most of the people listening are business owners, just like you and I. So we're juggling things that a lot of people aren't juggling. Plus we're juggling all of the emotional mindset, all of those things. It's just so difficult. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, especially at nighttime, because that seems to be everybody's downfall is that evening. I think for a couple of reasons, number one, we're mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted, right? There's no more willpower in the tank. We've given it all to the people that we live with and the people that we serve. And so at night, we're just like, I can't do it anymore. I just, I'm too exhausted to put the effort or I have no drive behind it. But sometimes the reason why we're so emotionally exhausted is because we've been attacking ourselves all day in our words, in our thought, you know, it's not so much that we're stressed out from the activities of the day. A lot of times we're stressed out by the words we've said to ourselves all day or when expectations aren't met and we eat as an escape to ourselves. That just sounds crazy. It might, but I, I think it's true for so many people. Yeah. You're spot on there. Like, it's just like escaping, like all of the things that you're worrying about, all of the things that you have to do, all of the, you know, emotional stuff, all of that. It's just like, it can be an escape for sure. Yeah. I will just interject a tip here if I can, rather than just talk about the why behind it is yeah. one of the things that I'm very passionate about. This is actually from the book, Atomic Habits. I know a lot of people have read that book already, but they talk about one space, one use, right? So there was a, a Zen proverb said, when you walk, walk, and when you eat, eat, meaning don't multitask. We've, I think, grown up in the era where multitasking was put on a pedestal. I remember going in on job interviews and be like, I'm a great multitasker. I don't know. I don't know if kids did me in or what, but I'm a terrible multitasker now. Yeah. <laughs> It is not a strength of mine. And it's the whole premise of be mindful, pay attention to what you're doing versus having your hand in too many things. And a lot of times that happens with food. So, you know, I always say if you're going to have a snack at night, do it at the kitchen table away from the TV. Number one, that'll tell you real quick how hungry you are. If you can't eat it in front of the TV, if yeah. you have to get up, remove yourself from your family, from your favorite TV show to go eat something. All of a sudden, that's a little bit of a game changer. Yeah. You realize definitely. Oh, maybe I'm not that hungry if I yeah. can't sit here and eat out of a bag or eat out my ice cream out of a half gallon and just veg out and escape all of my life for the next half hour. Yeah, I agree so. totally with that. I love that idea. Yeah, I think that's a perfect thing because I, as you're talking, I'm drinking my coffee here, or my chai, and I'm about to drink my smoothie and, you know, all of this stuff. So I'm a total multitasker when it comes to those things. And I literally eat my lunch at my desk. So mm -hmm. I really need to probably work on that a little. Yeah. When you eat, like have a designated eating spot so that your brain doesn't confuse the activities because you're at your desk all day long doing work. And so if you constantly eat at your desk, then your brain, you'll be working at your desk for another reason. And your brain will be like, Hey, don't we usually eat when we sit here and you will eat in the absence of hunger just that because makes, it's an association. That makes so much sense. I love it. Yeah. You probably just changed a lot of people's work habits right now. <laughs> Well, and I know because I fall into the habit as well. Like it's just easy here. Let me take a couple bites and keep working to take a couple bites, keep working. But honestly, your brain needs that break to be more efficient to, you know, 
have more clarity and focus in the second half of your day. And even though it feels like a, a challenge or it feels like I won't be able to get as much done, you actually will be able to get more done. I mean, I cannot even tell you how many studies have been done on this right here, where when people get up and get away from their desk and eat lunch in a separate room <laughs> and then come back to their their work, they are just so much more productive. Yeah, I can totally see that. And it, you're speaking, it's like one of those things where you like want to hear, like, you know, you need to hear it, but you don't necessarily want to hear it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's but, the story of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. Like, everybody, like they know they need to hear this, but can't you just tell me an easier way? Can't I yeah. just swap out this one ingredient for another and everything will be okay in the world? Yeah. Like, no, you got to actually do the work. Yeah, gotta, exactly. So, so that's, it a great tip just, you know, to designate one space as your eating space. So that way your mind only associates eating in that spot. Um, another place that can get uh, tricky is the bed, right? You know, they always yeah. say, don't watch TV in bed. Don't do other activities in bed because then it, you'll have trouble sleeping because your body will be like, what are we doing here? Are we eating? Are we watching TV or are we sleeping. So yeah. sometimes that can be helpful. Uh, my other tip is I always tell people, if you're going to eat something, always make sure you're pulling out a ceramic plate. Hmm. Yes. Why is so, that? Yeah. Right. So first of all, if you pull out a plate, it means you're invested in the task at hand. All right. So how many of us like just absentmindedly walk through the kitchen and we'll grab a handful of pretzels or we'll grab a handful of chips, especially if there's other people in our house that are eating. Right. Yeah. And so I always tell people, well, if you're going to go eat a handful of pretzels, go get a plate for that. And they're like, I'm not going to get a plate. It's just four pretzels. I'm like, yeah. well, then you're not hungry again. Uh -huh. Like if you have to go to the, the extra step of getting a plate out. And this is why I say not a paper plate because a paper plate is easy to throw away. Like one, you actually have to wash. Are you going to wash a ceramic plate for four pretzel sticks? That is a next level of commitment. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you so now really you committed gotta, to those? <laughs> yes. Are you going to do the dishes for this four pretzels? Yeah. And again, it's what we call pause points. They're just little things that we do and we insert into our day to just make sure that what we're doing is actually what we want to do and in alignment with our goals. Mm -hmm. And so it's a whole lesson on mindfulness, which I'm sure you guys have talked about lots of times, staying present, but we need those pause points to let the front part of our brain catch up with the back part of our brain, which I can speak to that if you're interested, because I think the whole thing is fascinating. Yeah, I would love to hear more about it. So we have two parts of our brain. Wait, we have many parts of our brain, but the two I'm going to talk about, the first one is called the prefrontal cortex, and that's right in the front of your brain. And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for forward thinking, logic, consequences, making sure that you're working in alignment with your goals. You know, like I said, uh, consequences with, interestingly enough, in boys, the prefrontal cortex is the last part to develop. So this is why 18-year-old boys don't make great decisions. Makes total sense. their prefrontal cortex is not completely developed yet. They're not thinking of the consequences of, you know, drag racing with their friend on the road and they might have to be a cop up ahead. So the prefrontal cortex is obviously when it comes to nutrition, the part of the brain we want to engage most often because it's the one that has our best interest at heart. Then we have this thing called the midbrain, which is in the back of the brain. It's also termed the toddler brain. And the reason it's termed the toddler brain is because every decision it makes is through the lens of pain avoidance 
an immediate gratification, right? It's like a toddler, but I want it. I want chocolate for breakfast. And you try to reason with this child. You can't have chocolate for breakfast. That's not a breakfast food. And the toddler could care less, but I yeah. want it. Yeah, I eat it other times of the day. So what is the difference between now and the other time? Right, you can't argue with toddlers. And so every decision that the toddler brain makes is through the lens of pain avoidance and immediate gratification. It's also the part of the brain that always answers first. So when you have an idea in your head, like I'm stressed, the midbrain, the toddler brain in the back says, oh, 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 when you're stressed, let's eat chocolate. That's a good idea because that's what we've done every time before when we're stressed. It thinks it's being helpful because it looks at, it's kind of like a, a, a card catalog. I'm dating myself here, right? A card yeah. catalog of every experience that you've been through. So when a problem arises, it answers quickly. And it always answers through the lens of pain avoidance and immediate gratification. Wow. The prefrontal cortex is a little slow to answer. And so a lot of times when we get craving, right? And we know they're cravings because they're urgent. Like I need it now. Yeah. Not, oh, and maybe I'll have some chocolate. Mm, I don't know. Let me think about this. Is this what I want to do? It's I need chocolate now, right? Yep. And that's um, just our midbrain throwing up an answer very quickly, but it's through the lens of pain avoidance. You know, I want it now. I don't want to wait an immediate gratification. So what we need to do is actually slow things down and allow the prefrontal cortex to get involved in the conversation. Yeah. And so by slowing things down, we're in the middle of an emotion. Time does not feel like it's on your side. Like right. I have to take care of this uncomfortable emotion as quickly as possible because it's going to overtake me. And interestingly enough, the stress cycle is only about 90 seconds long. Oh, wow. So we're 90 seconds away from feeling completely different. But in the moment, it's like, no, this is the decision I'm making because this is what the midbrain told me. Mm -hmm. And so because I only have one decision available, this must be the one I have to take. So is not having those things available, right? Is that a way to solve that problem? Or sometimes I know, like if I have a craving, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have to go out and get something later. You know what I mean? Like, because I have this craving, especially, you know, during your cycle, those are, that's when my chocolate cravings are the highest. And I'm kind of curious about how that portion of it, if it's not, maybe that's not a stress reaction. Maybe that's just some kind of different craving. I don't know. No, it, I mean, there's hormonal cravings and obviously the drop in estrogen and the rise in progesterone can make us have more intense cravings. I mean, I know for me personally, that's when I start rummaging through the pantry and I'm like, can, can we eat baking chocolate? Is that okay to eat? Because it's the only chocolate I have in my house. And so I get a little like, are we allowed to eat this? Because I need something now. And not having it in the house absolutely can make things easier because now you physically have to get in your car and drive. And that might be the pause you need to let the prefrontal cortex join the party and say, yeah, I know you want chocolate, but you've also been working really hard at your goals can we substitute fruit? Because what we want is just all we want right now is something sweet, or it's allowing the prefrontal cortex to join the party and say, you know what? I know you feel anxious right now. And I know it's around your cycle. And you know, this is just how you respond. Let's just give this five minutes and see how we feel. We're going to breathe through it because deep breathing actually de-escalates an emotion, emotional response. Plus it also increases oxygen to the prefrontal cortex. So telling that. yourself, 
We do. We need so much oxygen to the prefrontal cortex. So just even telling yourself, you know, if I still want this five minutes from now, then I'm going to go grab it. I'll get in the car. But when you have things immediately at your disposal, you know, chances are you're going to give it, you may grab them more often. Yeah. Yeah. Or even putting them in another place. I have a lot of clients who they have snacks for their children, but they just keep them in the basement, you know, just something inaccessible where they have to do a little bit of work for it. Mm-hmm. Or they'll put it, I had one lady, she used to uh, watch her grandchildren and her grandchild would always have a snack when he got home from school and then they would do homework together. And she actually put the snacks in a plastic bin in her garage on top of the highest shelf. So she couldn't reach it, oh but she goodness. created a path for the grandson to walk up and grab a snack. So she made it completely inaccessible to herself or she would have had to do like some type of gymnastics to get to that piece of chocolate, which would have created a long enough pause point for her to make sure, is this what I really want to do? I'm going to have to work for it a little bit. And she would be risking injury. So that was like totally going against the midbrain, right? That's right. That's right. Um, Because it's not immediate gratification. I've got to work for this. And it was just enough time for her body to be like, okay, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes you still want the chocolate. Mm-hmm. But at least now you're bringing another option to the table where before there was none. Yeah. Bringing that right? kind of checkpoint, like you said, the pause point. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're couple totally, things. that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> you say a couple <laughs> things, but those can be absolutely like game changing for people, especially like, I know someone like myself where I'm just like, okay, I need chocolate now. I'm going to go get it, whatever, you know, but I like the the thought of engaging and like maybe breathing through it and all of those things. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. I mean, just even set a timer, start with 90 seconds and really focus on slowing your breath down. So when there is an external threat, right, let's say you're walking across the street and you see this car come barreling down the road and you realize in a split second, like I've got to pick up my pace and get across the street or otherwise I'm going to get hit. So, you know, let's talk about that as an external threat rather than using like the saber tooth tiger as an example. Let's use a car coming because we can all identify with that. And so what happens is we get that fight or flight response, that sympathetic nervous system that gets engaged where our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases, our pupils dilate, palms get sweaty, blood flow goes to the muscles for action. What's interesting is in that moment, your brain naturally shuts down the prefrontal cortex as a way to protect you. It's a survival mechanism because you know when it comes to making a decision, you want to make the fastest decision and just go with it. You don't want to be like, well, you know, I could, you know, increase my pace, but then again, what if I stop where I'm at? Well, maybe if I go backwards, there's no time to make that decision. Like you've got to make a decision and go with it, or you're going to get hit. Yeah. So your brain protects you by shutting down that part of the brain that wants to look at all the options and make sure it's in alignment with your goals. And it wants to make that immediate decision, which you need to survive. The same thing happens when you have an internal threat, right? So we have an external threat, but for many of us, because we're trying to do it all and raise families and run businesses, we have internal threats all day long Yeah, called stress and anxiety and overwhelm, sometimes depression, fear, you know, all those emotions. And they elicit the same exact response as when you have an external threat coming to you. 
Wow. Your heart rate increases your breath. You know, you might start taking shallow breaths. You might notice you're getting rammy. I know for me, I get a little restless when the overwhelm starts to happen. Sometimes it was like, Oh, I need to go eat something. That would be the first thought that would pop into my head. And so the same thing happens when you have an internal stress, you still get all those symptoms. The problem is there's no external threat coming at you, but you still feel the same way in that moment. And so again, your brain starts to shut things down as a way to protect you. Your job is to open that door right back up. And we do that through deep breaths. Again, increasing oxygen flow to the prefrontal cortex to invite, this is just me feeling overwhelmed right now. I don't need to eat through it. I just need to make the next best step or how can I simplify this process and just do the next right thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. I'm going to be honest. I've done like intuitive eating workshops and like I've read books and all this, but I've never heard it explained this way, like scientifically. And I understand it so much better right now, you know, because well, I think it's, we need to work with our brains instead yeah. when we understand what's happening, we have more tools in our belt to be logical and to rationalize and to understand what's going on. So we can talk ourselves through it versus being scared. Yeah. Or just being like, you should be thinking about what you're eating instead of like, think about if you're really hungry. But like, now that I know what's actually happening, like that stress response and like the length of time that you need and like different things to avoid or to put in place. I mean, it just makes so much more sense now. I can't even explain it. (laughs) Oh, good. That is the point. Yeah. I think for, it's for so many of us, we want to understand why we do what we do because we have so much shame and guilt around not following through, you know, for so many of us, we're killing it in our businesses and, you know, we're raising amazing children, but yet this nutrition thing is like our thorn in our side. Like, why can't I do this well? And I do this well, why am I always hung up in this one area? And I blame our parents. And seriously, because like our parents' generation is like the start of like the diet culture, you know, like, and all of that stuff. Like, I just remember my mom and my aunt and everybody always being on this diet or that diet or all of those things. And I I just blame that generation. Yeah, go for it. Well, I would say the same thing. Like I grew up watching my mom, she would get dressed in the morning. And I remember, you know, thinking, oh, she is just the most beautiful woman in the world. Like she was doing her hair and her makeup. She put on her high heels to go to work. And I was just in awe of her. Yeah. And, um, but every day, every day, every morning before she left for work, she would get on the scale and she would check her weight. Yeah. And I remember watching her shoulders fall, that look of disappointment, And I didn't even know what she was doing at the time, but I learned very quickly that that scale is what teaches you how to feel about yourself every day. Yeah. And so I think from a, from a parent standpoint, because you know, once you become a parent, things change, like you see things through a different lens and it's not so much of teaching our children how to do, how to eat, how to take care of our body. It's also teaching our children like how, or maybe I should say what words to say when you're not feeling good about yourself. So even though they see us, you know, my mom never said, I feel terrible about my body. When she got on the scale, her actions spoke very loud and clear. Yeah. The nonverbal. And so, yes. And so how many women get on the scale every morning? How many women 
get on the scale in front of their children mm -hmm. and not think anything of it, but their body language is screaming a message that I'm not good enough. My self-worth is tied to my weight. And that child learns at a very young age that this is where my worth comes from. Yeah. And we've got a trillion dollar industry jamming so many different diets down our throat that we just assume this is what we are meant to do. Mm -hmm. This is just yeah. what we have to follow because it's the legacy that's been passed down to us. Yeah. It's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, then that's my criteria for trying to find the diet that works for you. And when I say diet, I mean an eating style, not a actual, you know, eat a half a cup of cottage cheese diet. Yeah. Um, and so part of it is it should not be hard. Like if you can't start at the next immediate meal, that is not the plan for you. Like there is no giant fridge clean out day, create 400 spreadsheets of your workouts, cross-reference with your eating plan, cross-reference with my fitness pal. Like if you can't just jump right in, it's not the plan for you. Oh my gosh. That's life-changing. <laughs> Seriously. Well, it's like, how many, how many Mondays have we had? You know what I'm talking about? Like the Monday. Okay. Starting Monday, I'm going to be doing this and this and this and this and this. And then like by Friday, it's like, okay, I'm over it. Yeah. Friday's generous. Usually by Wednesday, Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, people are over it because we, we just continue to create more and more rules. And then we feel more and more suffocated where eventually we just, I say, when we first get resentful, rebellion is not far behind. And so it's about figuring out my number one tip for people is when you're trying to figure out what you want to do around your eating, if you can't see yourself doing it five years from now, please don't start something you have no intention of finishing because what gets you there keeps you there. Yeah. So you've got to like what you're doing and it's got to be realistic. That doesn't mean you can't make tweaks. Like I usually say around quarterly is where I have to make adjustments to my diet because new sports schedules, change of weather, you know, just usually once a quarter, I'm having to make adjustments. So it's yeah. not like once you find your way, it will work perfectly every day for the next 40 years. Yeah, probably not. But I make sure that the rules and I'll put rules in air quotes, the rules that I follow are things that I can do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Like for example, I am going to eat cake at every one of my children's birthdays. Mm -hmm. Now I have five kids, but two of those are <laughs> twins. Yeah. So I've got four birthdays. I will never let my children see me not enjoying a piece of cake on their birthday. Yeah. So I'm not even going to make it a rule that I can't eat cake mm, because I know really I'm going to break it four times. Well, let's be honest, six times a year. Cause I'm going to eat cake on my birthday and my husband's birthday too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So don't make rules. You have no intention of following. Yeah. And the diet industry has taught us more rules, more rules. And for many of us, we've done so many different types of diets that we've got rules that don't even, we just keep adding more rules. And a lot of them butt heads with each other, like don't eat fat, but don't eat carbs. Well, what the heck is left? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's like, okay, so I can just have this, but you know, I can't eat this every day for the rest of my life. I'll go nuts. Well, then yeah. don't do it. Yeah. It's too hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's too hard. It's not realistic. The other part is as much as you restrict will be as much as you binge. Mm. So um, how it was taught to me, or I just love this illustration so much is if you think of a bow and arrow. Okay. So we all know that the further you pull back on the bow, the further the arrow will launch forward. Don't pull back. The arrow will only go a couple inches, pull back and you know really cock your arm back. The arrow will fly. I don't know. 
70, yeah. 80 feet, yeah. right? It's the same way with diet and our food. So a lot of times when it comes to wanting to lose weight, we make a bunch of rules. And so I want you to imagine picking up a bow and starting to pull back. Okay. Don't eat carbs. Don't eat after eight o'clock. Don't eat anything with fat in it. Make sure you're uh, not eating any sugar. Don't eat this. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. And every time you make a rule, you're pulling further and further back on your bow. Now you're in position. You're locked and loaded. And the rules around dieting are how long can you hold this position and not screw up? Wow. I mean, That's I'm holding crazy. my hands up right now in the, in the shape of like holding a bow. Yeah. I'm not even physically holding a 30 pound bow and my arms are starting to get tired, just holding this position mm-hmm. yeah. and the whole thing of dieting. How long are you going to hold it? Don't screw up. Don't mess up. Don't let your arm fall. But eventually everybody lets go. Yeah. Cause you can't, it's, it's totally unsustainable. You, yep. Correct. And the further you have pulled back will be as far forward as most people binge. Wow. That's crazy. That's such a mind blowing, like illustration. That's crazy. Right. I love it. So for people that find themselves binging, you know, just going off, you know, the whole thing is if you don't restrict, there will be no binge. Mm -hmm. There's no game. If you don't pick up the bow, there's no game. Yeah. Wow. So my definition of binging is a natural response to restriction. It's like gravity, (laughs) right? It's just the way it works. So down. Yeah. If you don't restrict, you will not binge. It's as easy as that. But what's interesting is restriction doesn't even have to be the physical restriction of food where you're not allowing yourself to eat. It can be as simple as the mental restriction of food. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat any chocolate today. Yeah. And then guess what you want to (laughs) eat? Chocolate all day. That's all you think about, right? It's like, it becomes a fixation of like, okay, oh, I can't have that. Oh, you know, you think about the can't. Yes. Well, I always like to talk about why labeling foods as good or bad is so harmful Um, because that's what we do with a lot of foods. We've learned, don't eat this. This is bad for you. Eat this. This is good. And so what happens is when you start categorizing foods as good or bad, eventually what will happen is you will start to categorize yourself as good or bad, depending on what you ate that day. And it's kind of a universal language. We all, oh, I was so bad today. If you would say that, I would know automatically, oh, what did you eat? Yeah, exactly. Right. We don't even have to say I was bad with my food today. All we have to say is I was bad today. And we automatically know that has, you've assigned a moral assignment to your eating patterns. Mm -hmm. And And it's interesting. Go ahead. Because it's not like when we go shopping, we're like, oh, I was bad today. You're like, yeah bought this. I got this. I got new shoes. You know, like we celebrate those moments, but when you're talking about food, like, like you said, you instantly know that that's the bad thing that you did. Right. And I always tell people, the only reason you would ever, ever be bad around food is if you stole it. Yeah, that's true. You will, you will never be bad for your choices, but if you are in the habit of being bad every day, Imagine what that does to your self-confidence and your self-worth and your trust in yourself to make good choices. Yeah. You know, it's going to slowly start to chip away at your self-esteem because I can't be trusted around this food. I hear that all the time. Oh, I can't have bread in the house. I can't be trusted around it. Wow. Right. We want to have a good relationship with food. I want to be able to have bread in the house and sometimes choose it and sometimes not and be okay either way. Yeah. 
but you've got to take those labels off because in the process of labeling foods good or bad, number one, you elevate the status of the bad food. You automatically put it on a pedestal as a forbidden food. Like I can't have this. Yeah. And then your mind so becomes fixated on it. Yep. Just like the chocolate. Right? Like I want chocolate like- all day long. Yeah. That's right. So the minute you label something as bad, the minute you elevate its status and it becomes a focal point all day. The other thing that happens with it is, you know, when you do eat the chocolate, because more times than not, we just go for it because we think we have no other option is you don't even enjoy it when you do eat it because you feel so guilty. Mm -hmm. And you eat it so quickly too. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not like you're like savoring it or like, you know, any of that stuff you're like, okay, it's gone. Now what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, for me, for many years, it was hiding in another room to eat it because I didn't want to share it with yeah. my kids. Yeah. And I wasn't supposed to be eating it. So let me like do this in secret. And then I didn't even enjoy it, yep. which would then make my brain want to do over. Well, now I want another piece because I don't even remember eating that. Yeah. You're bringing so, up so many things. I think not only for <laughs> myself, but I'm sure for everyone listening as well because we all have these struggles. Right. So it's like you said, it's understanding. It's those little tips. Like if you catch yourself saying I was bad today, just rephrase your sentence. I was not bad today. The only time I'm bad is if I stole the food. I did not steal this chocolate. Yeah. And when you can change your language and you can change your thoughts just by these little tweaks, by not labeling food as good or bad anymore, it will open up so much freedom and so much trust because a lot of us, what we're lacking is trust in ourselves that we can actually make a good decision because we think our past will dictate our, all our future success as well. So it's realizing I am, I can do this food does not, it's not my friend. It's just food. Yeah. And I can choose what I need in the moment and labeling foods as good or bad. If we could just change that language alone, people would be amazed at the results. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. You have totally blown my mind today with the explanations and I don't know, just everything. Like it's put it into a different perspective for me. And again, I come from that like diet culture and, you know, I'm a, I'm like right in between the Gen X and millennial, like split right down. I think like my year is like literally the one that like begins and ends the other two, you know? So I'm like smack dab in the middle. And I just see like so much of what you're saying, like it just turned on a light bulb. It's like the light bulb was there, but it wasn't screwed in until you said all of these things. (laughs) But sometimes we just need to hear it in a different way. Like we have so much knowledge. We just don't know how to make it work and find our own way so we can be successful, but not only for ourselves, so we can pass that legacy on to our kids. So they don't have the same struggles and challenges we have. I know one time I was walking my daughter to the bus stop and we literally take the step that puts us at the stop sign to our bus stop. And my daughter at seven says, mom, I'm bored. I'm like, really? You're bored? Like we haven't done anything. We just arrived at the bus stop. Yeah. I had this light bulb moment. You want to speak about light bulbs. And I said to her, Bella, how does boredom feel in your body? And so as a seven-year-old, she looks down and, you know, she looks at her legs. She looks at her torso because that's what a seven-year-old does when you ask him a question. Yeah. And she says, it feels tired. And I said, okay. I said, how else does boredom feel in your body? And she looked down again and she's like, it feels lazy. Hmm. 
So I said to her, I'm like, Bella, when I'm bored, I feel restless. Like my legs want to move. My mind starts to jump around to different topics. Even sometimes my hands will get fidgety. I don't know if what you're calling bored is actually boredom. I think you're actually just um, describing fatigue, tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I don't live in Bella's body. So I, maybe that's how boredom presents itself. But my light bulb moment was, is what if I can teach her how to identify different signals and different emotions in her body so she doesn't become a 40-year-old eating her way through them? That's powerful. And that's the legacy I want to pass on. I want to be able to show her, this is how you identify what feeling you're feeling. And these are better ways of coping with them so that you're not just abusing food like I did for so long, because that was what was taught to me, emotional eater. I come from a long line of emotional eaters and it was almost like that was our identity. That's who we were. And so we assume when it's part of our identity, we can't change it. And that is not true. You get to create your own identity. Yeah. I love that. And it speaks volumes when you go to um, family functions and you just see like how people eat and like every family function revolves around food. It doesn't revolve around like visiting or talking or catching up. It's like everybody just goes right for the table. That's how you know. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, because most of them haven't eaten all day because they were saving up. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Morgasford. And so they're starving at that point. Yep. Yeah. 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 All good stuff. So interesting. Everything that we've talked about today is just like, wow, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Great, I'm so great. excited that you're here. And I'm also excited that we kind of went on that, you know, the, what is it? The scientific path as well, because that totally changed how I look at everything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. When we can merge the two together, the practical and the educational piece behind it, that's usually where the light bulb moments come and we're able to, to choose a different way. Yeah, definitely. So I have a question for you. How can people work with you? I'm, I have a feeling that a lot of people that are listening are going to be like, oh my goodness, I want to definitely work with her. And you know, how can I, how can people work with you? Great question. So our website is bodymetricshealth.com. Bodymetrics is the company that I own. And um, if you go under programs uh, with a tab on the website, there's a program called diet rehab. And so this is actually a a 30 day mindset program that we offer to help you kind of help introduce you to some of these thoughts around food. You know, most of the things that we talked about today, I integrate into the 30 day mindset program. So you watch like a two to four minute video, and then there's some journal work. And I know people sometimes roll their eyes, oh, a journal, (laughs) but honestly, this is where all those thoughts that you have buried down deep, this is where they start to resurface and you can start to question, huh, I never really thought of it that way before. I feel like so much of nutrition education is unlearning, right? We've, we've learned so many things along the way, whether it's by what we've, what was modeled to us or what we thought was true. And a lot of times it's breaking all of that down so we can rebuild with truth. And so that's a 30-day mindset program. I also want to offer your listeners, if you type the word uh, podcast in the coupon code, uh, you'll get 10% off of that program. Oh, that's Uh, awesome. I love it. Thank you. Yes. And then for for more information, so we're on Instagram, Facebook at Body Metrics Health. And then I also have a podcast called Nourish, Eat, Repeat, 
and you'll find me there every week talking about nutrition and mindset and all things health. And then if you want one more thing, I actually wrote a book called Nourish, Eat, Repeat, A Busy Woman's Guide to a Healthier Mind, Body, and Life. And that's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the all the platforms. Um, but what I did was I took stories and when you have five kids, you have a lot of stories. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but I, I took the humorous stories of our family life that all moms can relate to. And I, you, know, you may not have the exact situation, but you've had similar ones. And, um, and I connect them to nutrition lessons. And then at the end of each chapter are what I call two five-star recipes because five out of five of my kids will eat it. Wow. And so if I got my crew to eat it, chances are you may get one or two of your crew to eat it as well, because where I think we need some support also is the practical part. Like, all right, I get this, but you don't understand. My kids are picky and yes. I don't have a lot of time to cook. Neither do I. And I've got some picky eaters too. So if I can share with you some of our wins that um, my family can get on board with, I want to be able to help and support you guys as well. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to get that book. And I love the idea of having a recipe. There's a couple things that my kids all like to eat. And I want to say it's definitely not healthy stuff. It's like lasagna and um, chicken pot pie. Like I make a vegan chicken pot pie. Like, I don't know, you're, uh -huh. you're from Pennsylvania. So you understand that part, but those are like the two dishes that everybody in the house likes to eat, but they're also really not that great for you. So yeah, I would love to find other healthy dishes that everybody likes to eat. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you one more quick tip before we, we end this. So being from Pennsylvania, um, we are like the Kings and Queens of casseroles and one pot foods. Yes. So a lot of times casseroles are really high in fat. They're high in cheese. They're high in starches, not so much vegetables, but the convenience of it is you just throw everything in a nine by 13 pan and bake it and all as well. So what I tell people is if you have a family favorite casserole dish, all I need you to do is half the starch and triple the vegetables. Okay. Everything else can stay the same. The ratio of all the other ingredients, maybe cut the cheese in half. So you're going to half the cheese, half the starch. So if it calls for a cup of noodles, you'll only put in a half a cup. Mm -hmm. And then whatever the vegetable part is, triple that. Okay. Throw everything into your casserole. Now what we call it, we call it level up. You've just leveled up your casserole. So it's not you know, completely unhealthy, but you've redeemed it because you've added more produce and more nutrients to it wow. without sacrificing flavor because all the components will be there. So the family will recognize it. It's just the ratios are in a healthier way. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. So maybe I'll have to add a lot more veggies to my lasagna. Um, I don't put any meat in it anyway, but probably less cheese would be good too. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Or you could, you know, alternate your layers with zucchini noodles and mm -hmm. pasta noodles Yeah, or mushrooms that. or something yeah. like that. You know, so it doesn't have to be a, again, an all or nothing. I can never eat lasagna. Mm -hmm. uh, no, we can just figure out how to add more veggies to it. Cut back on the cheese a little bit. All the flavors are there. The textures are there and yeah. it's a win. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I can't even count how many um, knowledge bombs you dropped on us today, but I loved every single one of them. And I also want to ask you, I know you said you're on Instagram and you also have your website, but is there anywhere else that you hang out online that you love to interact with people? Um, probably Facebook's an easier way to get in touch with me too. And again, that's at Body Metrics Health. 
I'll be honest with you. I'm in that generation where I'm like, oh, I do not know my social medias as well as I need to because yeah. I feel like I'm too old for that. So I am learning, but but I would say Facebook, Instagram, I, I will always directly respond to awesome. anything if somebody asks me a question awesome. or wants more information. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I know that you are going to get probably a lot of inquiries out of this episode because it was just amazing. So I really appreciate you being here. Great. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. This episode of the Determined Mom Show is brought to you by Google Growth Generator. This 21-day email course will help you learn to optimize your Google My Business listing in the same way that we do for our clients here at TDM Marketing. Our client, a baby sleep specialist, got 126.32% more website visits in the first month after her optimization was completed. Another client, a chiropractic practice, got 26.67% more phone calls in the first month after optimization was completed. And finally, our client, who is a residential cleaning service, got 61.11% more website visits in the first month after optimization. If you're not sure if Google My Business optimization is for you, listen to what Kristen Ratten from Kristen Ratten Content Services had to say about her optimization. I hired Amanda to optimize my Google My Business listing and within 10 days, my views were up 150%. This may be one of the most valuable things I've ever done for my business. And Amanda made it quick, easy, and painless. If you are ready to get started with your Google My Business optimization, go over to gomybusiness.com. That's G-O-mybusiness.com forward slash growth.